Why, hello, and welcome to another episode of Yo, What the Hell, a weekly show where two friends discuss a smorgasbord of content. Um, this week, my name is James, and this is my co-host. I'll be Harrison this week. Excellent. I like your fake name, Harrison, or Mr. Harrison. I don't know if you're a Mr. You. Harrison. Yeah, I mean, I'm the baseball player known as Harrison Bader. Ah, fair enough. Okay. I was just thinking Harrison because I just saw that thing that was released the other day about they redid the ranking of presidents from most successful policy-wise to least successful. And, you know, oh. we, there was a Harrison, and Donnie T is pretty low on there. I need I, to find that list. Save it, that it, list. It makes me mad. I don't like the list. Um Bill and um, Reagan and Barack Obama are higher than I would have liked. But then I realized like a lot of presidents weren't really successful when you think about it. But then there are some presidents I think are successful that other people don't like. Like Polk, I mean, I think I'm pretty sure Polk, his literally his whole thing was I'm going to expand the United States and go one term. And he did both of those things. Fuck yeah. I mean, man went in there with a fucking plan and stuck to it. Yep. So like, oh, Buchanan's the worst, but Buchanan obviously laid the groundwork for the Civil War, so yeah, you're pretty fucking failure if that's what you're... <laughs> what you did. And he was also a man from Pennsylvania who was, like, super pro-slavery. Like, why are you gonna be from Pennsylvania and just be like, Yes! My southern brother is owning people. This is great. Who knows? Who knows? But that's a good uh, you know, segue into what we're talking about this week. And uh, we'll do our normal catching up. But we're talking about uh, the former slaves, I suppose, of George Washington. I mean, everyone's former. They're all dead now. Uh, rest in peace. Exactly. Uh, yeah, we'll talk. We're going to talk about three. Um, this is a subject that's hard to find because there's not much information since a lot of these folks couldn't read or write or weren't allowed to learn to read or write. So if they could, they probably kept it to themselves. But we got some information and we got some interesting people to talk about. Indeed, indeed. But uh, let's do our catching up, I suppose. What was your week like, sir? Well, sir, as we've previously discussed, um, I, we found a stray kitten and, you know, we tried to do the right thing and take it to a shelter, but it bit me. And apparently that means you might have rabies and need to go into rabies protocol. So we've just been watching a kitten under rabies protocol to not get a felony. And that's taken up a lot of the week is kitten doing kitten things, being cute. Telling us it's the boss by meowing, being like, I need loves, or I need foods, or I gotta poop. But, yeah, that's that's what kittens do. I mean, that's what they're notorious for. Oh, yeah. Well, otherwise, that's all I've really done. We've watched, um, watched some television. I have watched, um, we've watched some Japanese kids playing basketball, because that show's long as hell. 
Um, Kuroko is very long. Our producer, I know, thinks less of me every time I talk about this show, but sometimes he's an asshole. And wrong. <laughs> I don't know if he's wrong. I'm enjoying it, but sometimes he's a jerk. <laughs> oh, and I was saying his, sometimes his opinions are wrong. Oh. Yeah, what have you done, my good sir? Uh, what have I done? I've watched a lot of anime. Um, I mean, that hasn't changed. Uh, <laughs> we had our first session of D&D uh, for our new campaign that, that you and Akala Vasita are in, and that was fun. That was fun. Um, you guys did a good job fighting the Ben Shapiro lobsters, and yeah. as a DM, I'm proud of you. Because uh, you weren't supposed to survive. Well, you were, but, you know. Uh, let's see. I've been watching a bunch of Gundam. Uh, I'm on Zeta Gundam, which means nothing to a whole lot of people. Uh, <laughs> and it, it's it's a slog. Uh, I feel bad for Camille. He keeps getting punched in the face. Um, it's going to be a recurring theme. Uh, like, literally in the first episode, and within the first two minutes, they punched him in the face. Jesus. So, like, yeah. Oh, spoilers for the first two minutes of that show. Uh, let's see what else. Um, need to get my ass in gear on getting shit ready to move. Like, it's coming up in, like, less than two weeks. So I gotta do that. I gotta start packing again and cleaning. They want us to, like, move our oven and fridge and clean behind that. And it's like, eh, you what? know. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, oh, like, they give us, like, a laundry list of stuff to do. And some of it's easy. It's a fucking slum apartment, though. Like, go fuck yourself, you whores. Yeah, no, this is a slum. Yeah, this is is, is a slum apartment. See, man, this is, landlords just need to be, like, street poles and, (laughs) and, like, I don't know, maybe duck hunting. You know, if it's good enough for Mr. Cheney and his friends. I was just about to say, yeah, they need to go with Mr. Cheney. Oh, man, that reminds me. Let's 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 bullshit real quick on um, Donald Rumsfeld. Died in a sleep at 88. No, not crab rave. I am unhappy that he died at 88 happily at home in his sleep. No, I'm. Crab raving that he's dead. I'm not happy about the whole situation. Like, he should have died earlier, but... Or he should be in a jail, being kept alive as long as possible, make him miserable in prison, because he killed... He had millions of Iraqis' lives destroyed for oil. Yeah, no, I I am not arguing that point. I'm just going to say crab rave, because, like, he's... Bad man. No, he was a terrible man, yeah. I mean, in a way, he also created ISIS, so... Oh, yeah, and... Uh, and ISIS goes, it starts, you know, it starts from Donald Rumsfeld and Cheney jerking each other off in a boardroom to um, Barack Obama doing whatever Barack Obama was doing with airstrikes and drones and whoever he was jerking off who went to make Vox or whatever the fuck liberal nightmare they made. <laughs> or who's that fucking bald shithead who, Matt Iglesias. I don't like that guy. Oh yeah, fuck that guy. That guy feels like bad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Did you see that uh, grilling is bad shitstorm on Twitter? No. What's wrong with grilling? This fucking 
uh, 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 the dudes on this podcast that I kind of like, but he wrote like a shitty fucking take about how like real like like it's pretty much like the the thesis like your grill is dirty, it sucks, and you should cook in your kitchen like during the summer. And it's really like, for the proletariat though. You get to go outside, you get to cook, you get to pretend you're Hank Hill, and Hank yeah. Hill's like the best redneck. <laughs> exactly. Like, no, I mean. By doing that, you are stating that you are against propane and propane accessories. And, like, I, for one, can't stand for that. No, you know, I may prefer charcoal, but I'm not against propane and propane accessories. And, you know, a lot of people may think that Hank Hill was racist, but I don't think so. I think a lot of people in his orbit might have been. His dog was, like, semi-racist. I Like, they definitely discussed his dog being semi-racist in an episode. Yeah, I mean... I think he was probably okay. Yeah, I, I hope. I mean, he might be the guy who wrote the article. Yeah, he very well could be. He, I don't know. The podcast he's on, I really, I, mean, I haven't listened to it in a while, but I like the other guy, uh, Popat. Um, he's cool. He's a lawyer, and everything's Rico. The, is the guy named Popat, or is the pod Popat? Uh, that's his Twitter name. Okay. Popat. Everyone should follow Popat. That's an interesting name, a handle. Yeah, it's good. His logo is a Popat. It's, you know, pretty solid. I wouldn't mind having a Popat. A Popat would be a really good thing to take to bars and drink with. That that reminds me, I had a fun idea, but I think I missed the day of this. There's a saint of beer, and I had an idea of going out that day to bars and paying people's beer tabs. And just being like, ha ha, walking away dressed up like a saint. But but I'm lazy and I'm forgetful. So, alas, it might be, though, still near the end of July. And if it is, I may still do that. Just dress up in robes and <laughs> see if I can find a big dumb hat. That's call, myself, I mean, call myself Arnoff all day. I think his name was Arnoff not, or Arnold. I'm not going to kink shame you, bro. You do you. Dog. I mean, I'm not saying I'm gonna fuck in it, but <laughs> you're you're not not saying that though. I, I'm gonna specifically come out and say I have no interest in fucking in a cardinal's robe and hat. I don't need to uh, to enact um, the papacy of Avignon. Like, come on now, those are Man. some kinky, dirty popes. All five of our listeners have now turned off the podcast. That's true. Because nobody wants to hear about Avignon and the popes fighting each other and the anti-popes and blah da da. Don't worry. I'm probably going to edit at least a chunk of that bit out. So. Okie dokie. Uh, but yeah, we should uh, probably move on to our main topic. Okay. So, yeah, moving on. Um, I guess I'll roll into this because we're today going to be discussing the lives of three human beings that were slaves of George Washington. Um, it's kind of a palate cleanser in topic. And I know it doesn't sound like a palate cleanser, but all these folks ended their lives as free human beings. So I kind of think that's a hope filled like palate cleanser <laughs> of some sorts. Um, and we should, frankly, we should know more about these, like, folks like this. I I really think that it's, like, really fucking frustrating watching other white people right now freak, about criti- freak out about critical race theory. 
Because, like, all it seems to be to me when I look up into it is they're just trying to add more shades to your history book and be like, hey, this thing was happening to black folk or this thing was happening to Native Americans at the same time as white folks were doing this. Yeah, no, I mean, and, like, it's, like, a graduate school, like, level theory. Like, it's not taught in elementary schools and all that. Like, oh, you might you might get, like, the bare like little sliver of it in like a poli sci undergrad you know theory class but that's not something that they're just like on moss teaching oh fuck man i say teach little kids i don't give a shit oh, teach yeah children. no of course i'm saying they should but. like they should know that like you know these white dudes did great things but they also owned people at the same time so maybe you should think about that <laughs> maybe, maybe like maybe I don't think it's going to hurt them. It's not going to make them like not a conservative or not a, or like a liberal cuck or whatever you want to say. It's just going to be something that they know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and like at the bare like minimum, you're like teaching them some like level of empathy. I feel like just from learning about this. Yeah. It's just people are strange. Everything's garbage. Mm -hmm. well, Our cultural the... wars are. Uh, yeah. This is Migrant Caravan. This is Dominion Voting. It'll be something else next week. I know, and I like how, like, conservative medias aren't even talking about, like, how the goddamn ocean's on fire because a Mexican gas company caught the ocean on fucking fire in a vortex of death. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, we're all going to die, and Joe Biden's going to, you know, do weird dumb shit that makes people mad for no fucking reason. Hey, like, this is a no malarkey podcast. You don't come on here talking that fucking malarkey, bro. I'll talk all the malarkey I want, sir. Joe Biden can suck my Dude, malarkey. Listen here. listen here, you dog-faced pony soldier. You're bringing too many <laughs> levels of malarkey to this podcast, and I will not stand for it. This is much like it's the no-spin zone. This is the no malarkey zone. Well, you know what? The king of malarkey can come fight me himself like he threatened to fight Donnie T. Uh, so. Instead of Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather, we should have that as pay-per-view. Um, so, yeah, we're going to, like I said, we're going to discuss these three folks because I think it's important. And it's, like I said, a palate cleanser. And I'd say, you know, we know a bit about them. And it's good to know a bit about people who weren't aristocrats or pseudo-aristocrats like we had in America. And I'd say this is especially good in regards to people that were owned by semi-aristocrats. And everything we have, though, information does come from Washington itself and other people around Washington. So it is tinted by a Virginia bourgeoisie like lens. So, yeah, we'll begin with that in mind. And the first person that we'll bring up is um, one of the, I think, the most important men in the revolution is William Lee. And Mr. Washington purchased William Lee for 61 pounds and 15 shillings. With also purchasing his brother Frank for 50 pounds extra in 1768. Will was 16 years old. I do believe Frank was a little younger. Um, but it's interesting that like 61 pounds and 15 shillings. I forget how much that was exactly off my head. Um, we may look that up and put it in the notes later, but it, it was it was a pretty good sum. 
And the Lee brothers were were noted and bought mainly because they were mulattoes, which being the term at the time for someone who had a white father. And so their last name was given to them by their mother, which most likely indicated that their father was a John, a Colonel John Lee, who was their previous owner. And, you know, that that's a pretty fucked fuck concept, a lot like Jefferson, um, that many of these slavesmen, you know, they owned and molested, raped, had sexual relations of some kind with women they legally owned, but uh, consent issues and then owning your children issues, it's really gross. These men were pretty gross. Generally, when bought by a man of Washington status, the Lee's, the Lee brothers would, you know, be sent out to work in the fields. Um, you know, they were young, I assume super strong, like good lads, sturdy, perfect for manual labor. Uh, but yeah, William Lee was chosen quickly to come serve inside the house and be inside as a skilled laborer. And this is something the Washingtons prefer. They like using biracial people within their homes because I guess it made them feel less othery. And, you know, in three years or so, Frank would get the same treatment and be brought in as well, which is what they did. So just as an aside, I don't know if I'm going to keep this in, uh, but my old manager at the Doggy Daycare uh, was Puerto Rican and super racist. Uh, and he told me that uh, me and my other white coworker would be house slaves whenever the revolution happened. And it's just like, oh, thanks, bro. Like, I mean, he also told me the Holocaust didn't happen. And so there's there's a whole lot there. Uh, oh, yeah. This is fun. That's yeah. pretty terrible. Like, 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 no lie. Like for the entire time I worked there, pretty much once, twice a week, like, like, you know, you and, you know, your coworker are going to be house slaves whenever all this happens. He's like, I'll be nice and, you know, let you come in from time to time. But, you know, you're going to be sequestered off. It's like, oh, thanks, man. I well, appreciate it, dog. God, that, that reminds me of, like, after um, Mr. Barry Obama won and people were sending around this, like, thing about, like, all white people report to the fields or some bullshit like that. I mean, hell yeah, brother. Let's fucking go. Uh, don't say brother. You can't trust a white man who says brother. <laughs> there, you, you've probably, you've, everyone should hear the China, Illinois song about that. Uh, I've been saying brother a whole bunch lately. I picked it up from my old coworker, but uh, hell yeah, brother. See, you got to do it more like, like this Hulk Hogan, the Hulkster, just like, hey there, brother. We're going to talk about William here. Uh, he was quickly chosen to be Washington's personal slave and therefore was given certain liberties, such as better food and much better clothing than the other slaves. You know, I just imagine Washington's fame grew that William probably had better clothes than most white people he encountered, too, which, man, that's got to be emasculating for a certain segment of the white population at that time, I'm sure. Well, uh, I imagine when you're really poor, like, you know, trash man, it's not too great whenever like the dude who's owned by a dude is like dressed fancy and i'm like huh got some rags and one pair of shoes here i'll be okay i guess yeah exactly so he was often the valet and was always on call to washington he would help him dress style his hair braiding powering 
and placing the pomade in it, you know, as one did. So on top of styling duties, William, he also hunted frequently with George. Uh, in this role, he took care of the dogs and coordinated with the other hunters. Uh, Lee, he was noted as just being a really fine hunter and could be a match with the extremely well-respected horseman that was George. Uh, these routines of personal servant and horseman went on, uh, mostly interrupted until 1775, uh, summoning of the second. Uh, these routines, they would go on, uh, mostly interrupted, but mostly uninterrupted? Yes, probably. Once again. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, why hello and welcome to another episode of yo what the hell a weekly show where two friends discuss a smorgasbord of content um this week my name is james and this is my co-host i'll be harrison this week excellent i like your fake name harrison or mr harrison i don't know if you're a mr Thank you. harrison yeah i mean i'm the baseball player known as harrison Bader. Ah, fair enough. Okay. I was just thinking Harrison because I just saw that thing that was released the other day about they redid the ranking of presidents from most successful policy-wise to least successful. And, you know, oh. we, there was a Harrison, and Donnie T is pretty low on there. I need I, to find that list. Save it, that it, list. It makes me mad. I don't like the list. Um... Bill and um, Reagan and Barack Obama are higher than I would have liked. But then I realized like a lot of presidents weren't really successful when you think about it. But then there are some presidents I think are successful that other people don't like. Like Polk, I mean, I think I'm pretty sure Polk, his literally his whole thing was I'm going to expand the United States and go one term. And he did both of those things. Fuck yeah. I mean, man went in there with a fucking plan and stuck to it. Yep. But like, oh, Buchanan's the worst, but Buchanan obviously laid the groundwork for the Civil War, so yeah, you're a pretty fucking failure if that's what you're... <laughs> what you did. And he was also a man from Pennsylvania who was like super pro-slavery. Like, why are you gonna be from Pennsylvania and just be like, Yes! My southern brother is owning people. This is great. Who knows? Who knows? But that's a good uh, you know, segue into what we're talking about this week. And uh, we'll do our normal catching up. But we're talking about uh, the former slaves, I suppose, of George Washington. I mean, everyone's former. They're all dead now. Uh, rest in peace. Exactly. But yeah, I get, we'll talk. We're going to talk about three. Um, this is a subject that's hard to find because there's not much information since a lot of these folks couldn't read or write or weren't allowed to learn to read or write. So if they could, they probably kept it to themselves. But we got some information and we got some interesting people to talk about. Indeed, indeed. But uh, let's do our catching up, I suppose. What was your week like, sir? Well, sir, as we've previously discussed, um, I, we found a stray kitten and, you know, we tried to do the right thing and take it to a shelter, but it bit me. And apparently that means you might have rabies and need to go into rabies protocol. So we've just been watching a kitten 
under rabies protocol to not get a felony. And that's taken up a lot of the week is kitten doing kitten things, being cute, telling us it's the boss by meowing, being like, I need loves or I need foods or I got to poop. But yeah, that's that's what kittens do. I mean, that's what they're notorious for. Oh, yeah. Well, otherwise, being cute. That's all I've really done. We've watched um watching television. I have watched um uh, we've watched some Japanese kids playing basketball because that show's long as hell. Um Kuroko is very long. Our producer I know thinks less of me every time I talk about this show, but sometimes he's an asshole. And wrong. <laughs> I don't know if he's wrong. I'm enjoying it, but sometimes he's a jerk. <laughs> Oh, and I was saying his sometimes his opinions are wrong. <sighs> oh. Yeah, what have you done, my good sir? Uh, what have I done? I've watched a lot of anime. Um, I mean, that hasn't changed. Uh, <laughs> we had our first session of D&D uh, for our new campaign that, that you and Nicola Basita are in, and that was fun. That was fun. Um. You guys did a good job fighting the Ben Shapiro lobsters, and yeah. as a DM, I'm proud of you, because uh, you weren't supposed to survive. Well, you were, but, you know. Uh, let's see, I've been watching a bunch of Gundam. Uh, I'm on Zeta Gundam, which means nothing to a whole lot of people. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's a slog. Uh, I feel bad for Camille. He keeps getting punched in the face. Um it's going to be a recurring theme. Uh, like, literally in the first episode, and within the first two minutes, they punched him in the face. Jesus. So, like, yeah. Oh, spoilers for the first two minutes of that show. Uh, let's see what else. Um, need to get my ass in gear on getting shit ready to move. Like, it's coming up in, like, less than two weeks. So I got to do that. I got to start packing again and cleaning they want us to, like, move our oven and fridge and clean behind that. And it's like, eh, you what? know. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, oh, like, they give us, like, a laundry list of stuff to do. And it's see, a, some of it's easy. It's a fucking yeah. slum apartment, though. Like, go fuck yourself, you whores. Yeah, no, Jesus. this is a slum. Yeah, this is, this is, this is a slum apartment. See... Like, Man, this is landlords just need to be like street poles and <laughs> and like I don't know, maybe duck hunting. You know, if it's good enough for Mr. Cheney and his friends, I was just about to say, for... yeah, they need to go with Mr. Cheney. Oh man, that reminds me. Let's 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 bullshit real quick on um Donald Rumsfeld died in a sleep yeah. at eighty eight. No, not Crab Rave. I am unhappy that he died at 88, happily at home in his sleep. No, I'm Crab Rave that he's dead. I'm not happy about the whole situation. Like, he should have died earlier, but... Or he should be in a jail, being kept alive as long as possible, make him miserable in prison, because he killed... He had millions of Iraqis' lives destroyed for oil. Yeah, no, I I am not arguing that point. I'm just going to say Crab Rave, because, like, he's... Bad man. No, he was a terrible man. Yeah, I mean, in a way, he also created ISIS. So. Oh yeah, gonna... and, uh, and ISIS goes is starts you know 
it starts from Donald Rumsfeld and Cheney jerking each other off in a boardroom to um, Barack Obama doing whatever Barack Obama was doing with airstrikes and drones and whoever he was jerking off who went to make Vox or whatever the fuck liberal nightmare they made. <laughs> or who's that fucking bald shithead who Matt Iglesias. I don't like that guy. Oh, yeah. Fuck that guy. That guy feels like bad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Did you see that uh, grilling is bad shitstorm on Twitter? No. What's wrong with grilling? This fucking... Uh, 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 the dude's on this podcast that I kind of like, but he wrote, like, a shitty fucking take about how, like, grill, like, like, it's pretty much like the, the thesis, like, your grill is dirty, it sucks, and you should cook in your kitchen, like, during the summer. And it's Grilling's like, for the proletariat, though. You get to go outside, you get to cook, you get to pretend you're Hank Hill, and Hank yeah. Hill's, like, the best redneck. <laughs> exactly. Like, no, I mean... By doing that, you are stating that you are against propane and propane accessories. And, like, I, for one, can't stand for that. No, you know, I may prefer charcoal, but I'm not against propane and propane accessories. And, you know, a lot of people may think that Hank Hill was racist, but I don't think so. I think a lot of people in his orbit might have been. His dog was, like, semi-racist. I mean, like, they definitely discussed his dog being semi-racist in an episode. Yeah, like, I mean... I think he was probably okay. Yeah, I, I hope. I mean, he might be the guy who wrote the article. Yeah, he very well could be. He, I don't know. The podcast he's on, I really, I, mean, I haven't listened to it in a while, but I like the other guy, uh, Pope Hat. Um, he's cool. He's a lawyer, and everything's Rico. The, is the guy named Pope Hat, or is the pod Pope Hat? Uh, that's his Twitter name. Okay. Everyone should follow Pope Hat. That's an interesting name, a handle. Yeah, it's good. His logo is a Pope Hat. It's, you know, pretty self I wouldn't mind having a Pope Hat. A Pope Hat would be a really good thing to take to bars and drink with. That, that reminds me, I had a fun idea, but I think I missed the day. of this. There's a saint of beer, and I had an idea of going out that day to bars and paying people's beer tabs. And just being like, ha-ha, walking away dressed up like a saint. But but I'm lazy and I'm forgetful. So, alas. It might be, though, still near the end of July. And if it is, I may still do that. Just dress up in robes and <laughs> see if I can find a big dumb hat. That's call, myself, I mean, call myself Arnoff all day. I think his name was I'm Arnoff not, or Arnold. I, I'm not going to king shame you, bro. You do you. Dog. I mean, I'm not saying I'm going to fuck in it, but. <laughs> you're, you're not not saying that, though. I, I'm going to specifically come out and say I have no interest in fucking in a Cardinal's robe and hat. I don't need to, to enact um, the papacy of Avignon. Like, come on now. Those Man. are some kinky, dirty popes. All five of our listeners have now turned off the podcast. That's true. Because nobody wants to hear about Avignon and the popes fighting each other and the anti-popes and blah da da. Don't worry. I'm probably going to edit at least a chunk of that bit out. So. Okie dokie. Uh, but yeah, we should uh, probably move on 
to our main topic. Okay. So, yeah, moving on. Um, I guess I'll roll into this because we're today going to be discussing the lives of three human beings that were slaves of George Washington. Um, it's kind of a palate cleanser in topic. And I know it doesn't sound like a palate cleanser, but all these folks ended their lives as free human beings. So I kind of think that's a hope-filled like palate cleanser of some sorts. Um, and we should, frankly, we should know more about these like folks like this. I, I really think that it's like really fucking frustrating watching other white people right now freak about critical, freak out about critical race theory, because like all it seems to be to me when I look up into it is they're just trying to add more shades to your history book, and be like, hey, this thing was happening to black folk, or this thing was happening to Native Americans at the same time as white folks were doing this. Yeah. No, I mean, and like. It's like a graduate school, like level theory. Like it's not taught in elementary schools and all that. Like, oh, you might, you might get like the bare, like little sliver of it in like a poli sci undergrad, you know, theory class. But that's not something that they're just like on moss teaching. Oh fuck, man! I say teach little kids. I don't give a shit. Oh, teach children. Yeah, no, of course. I'm saying they should. But... Like they should know that. Like, you know. These white dudes did great things, but they also owned people at the same time. So maybe you should think about that. Maybe. maybe. Like, maybe. I don't think it's going to hurt them. It's not going to make them, like, not a conservative or not a, or, like, a liberal cuck or whatever you want to say. It's just going to be something that they know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, like, at the bare, like, minimum, you're, like, teaching them some, like, level of empathy, I feel like, just from learning about this. Yeah, it's just people are strange. Everything's garbage. Mm-hmm. Well, Our I mean, cultural this is the, wars are. Uh, yeah, this is migrant caravan. This is Dominion voting. It'll be something else next week. I know, and I like how like conservative media's aren't even talking about like how the goddamn ocean's on fire because a Mexican gas company caught the ocean on fucking fire in a vortex of death. Yeah. Yeah, like we're all going to die and Joe Biden's going to, you know, do weird dumb shit that makes people mad for no fucking reason. Hey, this is a no malarkey podcast. You don't come on here talking that fucking malarkey, bro. I'll talk all the malarkey I want, sir. Joe Biden can suck my malarkey. Listen here, here, you dog faced pony soldier. You're bringing too many (laughs) levels of malarkey to this podcast and i will not stand for it this is much like it's the no spin zone this is the no malarkey zone well you know what? the king of malarkey can come fight me himself like he threatened to fight donnie t uh, so. instead of logan paul and floyd mayweather we should have that as pay-per-view um so yeah we're gonna like i said we're gonna discuss these three folks because i think it's important and it's like i said a palate cleanser and i'd say you know, we know a bit about them, and it's good to know a bit about people who weren't aristocrats or pseudo-aristocrats like we had in America. And I'd say this is especially good in regards to people that were owned by semi-aristocrats. And everything we have, though, information does come from Washington himself and other people around Washington. So it is tinted by a Virginia bourgeoisie-like lens. So, yeah, we'll begin with that in mind. 
And the first person that we'll bring up is um, one of the, I think, the most important men in the revolution is William Lee. And Mr. Washington purchased William Lee for 61 pounds and 15 shillings. With also purchasing his brother Frank for 50 pounds extra in 1768. Will was 16 years old. I do believe Frank was a little younger. Um, but it's interesting that like 61 pounds and 15 shillings. I forget how much that was exactly off my head. Um, we may look that up and put it in the notes later. But it, it was it was a pretty good sum. And the Lee brothers were were noted and bought mainly because they were mulattoes, which being the term at the time for someone who had a white father. And so their last name was given to them by their mother, which most likely indicated that their father was a John, a Colonel John Lee, who was their previous owner. And, you know, that that's a pretty fucked fuck concept, a lot like Jefferson, um, that many of these slavesmen, you know, they owned and molested, raped, had sexual relations of some kind with women they legally owned, but uh, consent issues and then owning your children issues, it's really gross. These men were pretty gross. Generally, when bought by a man of Washington status, the the Lee brothers would, you know, be sent out to work in the fields. Um, You know, they were young, I assume super strong, like, Good lads, sturdy, perfect for manual labor. Uh, but yeah, William Lee was chosen quickly to come serve inside the house and be inside as a skilled laborer. And this is something the Washingtons preferred. They liked using biracial people within their homes because I guess it made them feel less othery. And, you know, in three years or so, Frank would get the same treatment and be brought in as well, which is what they did. So just as an aside, I don't know if I'm going to keep this in, uh, but my old manager at the Doggy Daycare uh, was Puerto Rican and super racist. Uh, and he told me that uh, me and my other white coworker would be house slaves whenever the revolution happened. And it's just like, oh, thanks, bro. Like, I mean, he also told me the Holocaust didn't happen. And so there's there's a whole lot there. Uh, oh, this yeah. is fun. That's yeah. pretty terrible. Like, like, like no lie. Like for the entire time I worked there, pretty much once, twice a week. Like, it's like, you know, you and you know your coworker are going to be house slaves whenever all this happens. He's like, I'll be nice and you know let you come in from time to time, but you know you're going to be sequestered off. And it's like, oh, thanks, man. I well. appreciate it, dog. God, that that reminds me of like after um, Mr. Barry Obama won, and people were sending around this like thing about like all white people report to the fields or some bullshit like that. I mean, like, hell yeah, brother, let's fucking go. Uh, don't say brother. You can't trust a white man who says brother. <laughs> <laughs> there, you you've probably you've everyone should hear the China Illinois song about that. <laughs> Uh, I've been saying brother a whole bunch lately. I picked it up from my old coworker, but uh, hell yeah, brother. See, you got to do it more like, like this Hulk Hogan, the Hulkster, just like, hey there, brother. We're going to talk about William here. Uh, he was quickly chosen to be Washington's personal slave and therefore was given certain liberties, such as better food and much better clothing than the other slaves. 
you know, I just imagine Washington's fame grew that William probably had better clothes than most white people he encountered too, which, man, that's got to be emasculating for a certain segment of the white population at that time, I'm sure. Well, uh, I imagine when you're really poor, like, you know, trash man, it's not too great whenever, like, the dude who's owned by a dude is, like, dressed fancy, and I'm like, huh, got some rags and one pair of shoes here. I'll be okay, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So he was often the valet and was always on call to Washington. He would help him dress, style his hair, braiding, powering, and placing the pomade in it, you know, as one did. These routines of personal service and horsemen, they would go on mostly uninterrupted until the 1775 summoning of the Second Continental Congress. Uh, William would, unknown to him, spend nearly the next decade with George in the field. Uh, in the field, uh, we're just painted with a picture that William Lee was an impeccable uh, person at keeping up with George's personal needs. Uh, Washington was stupidly brave during the war. Uh, from what we can tell, William followed diligently regardless, uh, which is just, like, insane to me. Uh, just, like, say you're mad, say Washington was going on on the charge, well, guess who's going with him? Like... Bro, you didn't sign up for that war, and you gotta fucking participate. That's some Gundam shit. Yeah. Like, it, it's a bit ridiculous, like, knowing that this dude was just, like, brought up, he was brought along with, and was just like, well, I guess this is what I'm doing today. Hopefully I don't get turned into Swiss cheese by bullets. Yeah. No, uh, agreed. It's also interesting to note that there are multiple accounts of William as being both a hugely muscular man who was apparently armed, which, and by that, I mean, he had to have been, like, just enormously trusted. Uh, I mean, we all know this man was highly trusted as William was tasked with guarding Washington's papers, both personal and army-related. Uh, and through every battle and camp move, Lee was the primary guardian of what must have been the highest state secrets, which is just insane. Uh, he was also privy to all of George and his inner circle's discussions, uh, I mean, like, at any time, he could have broken ranks and joined the British services to both fuck the Americans and gain his own freedom. It's just kind of, like, really a wonder of why he didn't. Uh, in no way would any rational person blame Lee if he would have joined the British. Uh, it's just, you know, surprising that he didn't. And even more to think that by the end of the war, you know, Washington had freed America from the shackles of the English, yet had not done the same for William Lee, regardless of the unshakable loyalty he had shown his excellency during the revolution. Yeah, so this is like doing everything and reading of this actually like maybe really, really upset like that William Lee like wasn't taught or encouraged to write things down in his life. Cause like, man, I would <laughs> love to see what, or love to read like what this man thought of and what was going on and why he just didn't go yeah. like, yeah, fuck these guys. No, straight up. Like he could have been like a Benedict Arnold before Benedict Arnold. Oh, he could have like, been like Benedict Arnold, but successful. Exactly. And not, not an egg breakfast. That's true. I mean, this Here, man could have like a statue at parliament for God's sakes. Exactly. Exactly. Well, things would, you know, go kind of south for William after the revolution. Um, for one, as we discussed, Washington did not free this man, even though at any time William could have absolutely fucked George so hard. And equally, 
awful was that shortly after the war ended on April 2nd of 1785, Lee and Washington were surveying land at Mount Vernon when, you know, you got to remember, Lee was probably equally qualified to be a surveyor since, you know, he was just bumming around with George all the time and was apparently a man who was just good at everything. And as they were doing the surveying, Lee somehow had tripped or fell or something went wrong and he and he broke his kneecap. Apparently, it was broken so bad that Washington wrote in his journal that he had to obtain a sled, help William onto the sled and personally drag him in the sled back to get him back to some sort of doctor or help. After this incident, Washington began to complain about William's declining work, though, which is kind of shitty. Like, come on, what's he going to do? He, you, you ruined his kneecap by, like, bumming around the land and cutting down trees and shit. Come on, bro. Washington still had Lee accompany him to the Constitutional Convention. William probably sat along, along the whole time near George as the whole proceedings went on at the Constitutional Convention, you know, as state powers were argued, the rights of citizens, and everything outside of slavery. <laughs> oh, just fucking levels of unfortunate. These fucking assholes. <laughs> Nothing good would happen for unfortunate Will as he broke his other knee in 1788, a year after the convention on his way to the post office. It's like, my dude. Jesus. How how unlucky are you that you keep up breaking your fucking knees? Like, Christ. Yeah. Damn. I mean, I just, like, sprained mine or something, like, a few months ago, and it still is, like, kind of annoying sometimes because it's such, like, a weak, important joint. It's like, mm. damn. But th this injury would be the injury which would end William's 20-long-year service as George's personal valet. Washington was signly to learn the art of shoemaking for the other slaves in the plantations. And this was at what he did until the election of Washington's presidency, where, interestingly enough, Lee was brought along. I really wish Lee could have written or if he knew how to write, was allowed to leave journals. It would have been endlessly fascinating to read this man's thoughts. But anyhow, moving on. That didn't happen. <laughs> Lee had fucked up both his knees terribly on the way to Philadelphia for the inauguration. And he had to stay with a doctor for over a month. George tried to have him sent to Mount Vernon, yet Lee apparently had none of that. And he just showed up to New York City anyhow at the Washington Residency in June 15th of 1789. Apparently, William was able to keep up with his work as the valet yet again until August 1790, where his decline had really started like, taking its toll, and he'd be sent back to Mount Vernon for good. Yeah, and he did go on to become the main cobbler of Mount Vernon, uh, and he made 160 pairs of shoes in 1794 alone. And Jesus, you know, that's just yeah, that's not even like including like repaired shoes. Uh, and here's another interesting thing about William Lee. Uh, we know that he became quite the drunk in his later years, which 
good like go like of course like why the fuck wouldn't you man you broke both your knees like you have all the right uh and yet he still meant you know seemingly managed to get his work done and more amazingly he was well respected uh, around the revolutionary veterans during any visit from a vet while george was alive or after uh, the veteran was always requested to have a friendly chat with william uh, and there were no recorded instances of denial, which, I mean, hey, that's pretty fucking cool. Uh, William must have also, you know, been an extraordinary man. Uh, George must have thought so. So especially since, you know, Lee was the only person that George freed immediately upon his death. Uh, the will stated that William was to be paid $30 for the rest of his life and given the option to stay at Mount Vernon, which he accepted. And... I honestly believe that William Lee is one of the most important men uh, in the creation of America. Uh, and it's just an absolute tragedy that he was denied the freedom and the ability to leave behind his own written word. Uh, I mean, if he were a white man, uh, you know, he would have been one of the most important people in American history, which Jesus Christ, our system is so fucked. So that's it. Yeah. No, it's bad. That's it on William Lee, at least what we have so far. And now we're going to talk about Ona Marie Judge. Uh, Ona Marie Judge was often referred to as Oni. Uh, she was born in 1774 at Mount Vernon to a woman named Betty. Most likely her father was an indentured servant named Andrew Judge, uh, who worked at Mount Vernon as a tailor. Uh, Betty herself was a seamstress, so obviously they met at work. Uh, take that however you will. One would like to think that they loved each other, as Betty had given them two daughters and Judge's last name, uh, while her older son, Austin, had no last name. We don't know, though. Uh, Andrew left Mount Vernon in 1780, and nothing could be found to show us if Andrew and or Betty uh, kept in contact. I mean, they probably didn't, because evidently neither of them could read. Yeah, I mean, that, that would make sense to me. Just got a different job and got tired of dealing with George's bullshit. And he was probably outside of his indentured servitude and was just like, fuck it. I'm going to go be a dude now in like Herpaderpa, Kentucky. Exactly. And it's really interesting, like how transient human beings could be in the like colonial expansion eras. Like there was all this land Mm -hmm. and you could just be like, I guess I'm going to leave my whole family and go off to the Colorado. And you could do that. Exactly. No not, not so much nowadays. No, no. Now you show up like someone could just find you bleep bloop, social security, bleep bloop, name and paper. Yeah. Well, I mean, like Colorado, like their voting records are public. Like you type your name into like, you know, Google, like they find your fucking address that you're that you're registered to vote at. Like. It's fucking crazy. Disgusting. I want to be able to just slide off in the Yukon, sir, at any given time. I'm offended. <laughs> Whomst among us doesn't want to do that? Everyone should. All right. Well, well, Oni was owned by Martha Washington's estate, as were her siblings and her mother. Oni was also considered a mulatto. So once she was 10, she was a, she was brought inside the residence to work. Um, she probably initially helped helped watch the Washington grandchildren and she absolutely helped her mother with, you know, seamstress things, whatever that might be. I'm unfortunately not too sure what seamstresses do besides repair clothes. 
eventually her skills at seeming and dealing with children led her to become Martha's personal maid, a job nearly identical to William Lee's. You know, identical in, like, what it entails in general, not, I assume, what you do. I assume it was radically different things because I don't think George is wearing a corset every day. I don't know, though. Hey, he did take a long time to get his hair done. Yeah, like, hey, no shame. Like, come on, live your truth. <laughs> I mean, you're already wearing a wig and braids and powdered hair, so why not? No, you might not like it, but, but that's what ideal masculinity looks like. I mean, yeah, in the United Kingdom, I guess it is. Um, Ona would help Martha dress in overly intricate sets of clothing in the morning and do the reverse in the evening. Even after the undressing, Ona was still expected to clean and mend anything on the clothing before finishing her day. Oni would go on assisting Martha in running the household of Mount Vernon until the spring of 1789 when Martha washed and moved key members of the house to New York City for George's presidency. Ona probably would have been uh, 15 or 16 during this transition. And as a girl working in a horribly busy new environment, this must have been fucking overwhelming. There was adjusting Martha, the grandchildren, dealing with all manners of visitors. You know, all of Oni's normal duties had to be done on top of this in a strange new environment. You know, did I mention she also had to be impeccably, impeccably dressed? You know, washing, the Washingtons were better than you, and you needed to know that even their slaves dressed fancier than you, damn it. All in all, the Washingtons spent 16 months before moving again to Philadelphia along with the new capital. The move to Philly would have been even more insane than the one to New York City. Philly was the largest city in America at the time, with a healthy metro population of 42,000 souls. You know, so it's like the grand metropolis of Shawnee, Oklahoma. It might be a little bit smaller than more now I think about it. <laughs> Trusted slaves such as Oni were allowed downtime for shopping, you know, and leisure and other things in Philly. And this did not work in the Washington's favor. Philadelphia, you see, was full of all kinds of different people. Quakers, free blacks, and horrifyingly enough, abolitionists, all just running amongst each other, telling people things, giving ideas, saying that, oh, hey, maybe being owned isn't okay. Maybe you could fuck off. Maybe you should That's fuck a, off. A hot take. <laughs> that is a hot take. Owning people is not okay. So we see when <laughs> Attorney General Edmund Randolph warned Martha on April 5th of 1791 that their slaves could be freed after living in Philly for six months, there, there was a legitimate concern. Most likely, at least one enslaved person within the household knew of the Gradual Abolition Act, which, you know, Quakers and abolitionists had been pushing through Pennsylvania State Congress as law. So I imagine those same people were also going around like, just handing out pamphlets to anyone who looked darker than a white person being like, hey, you don't have to be a property. <laughs> you, you can do the thing. Do the thing. It was, you know, it was after Mr. Randolph's visit, though, that Lady Washington began to start having trips with different groups of slaves and rotating people all, all under the guise of visiting people. And, you know, pretty clever. 
the first of these trips was to New Jersey on a social call. And unfortunately, the social call reset Ona's clock on the six months residency. Yeah, and, you know, the Washingtons, they might have kept digging themselves a hole uh, in regards to Oni by allowing her to see the theater and the circus uh, or by letting her just have free reign to occasionally wander Philadelphia. Uh, for all we know, the final straw may have been the death of her older brother, Austin, uh, on December 20th of 1794. Uh, he was held in high regard uh, among the Washington family and was often sent back and forth from Philadelphia to Mount Vernon. Uh, it was on one of these trips that while crossing a high river, Austin suffered a stroke and nearly drowned, which, holy shit, that's insane. Uh, he was nearly 40 and most likely the closest person Ona had to a father. Uh, the other contender for deciding Oni's fate uh, may have been when she learned that Martha had planned to give Oni to the laziest grandchild after her death, which I don't, I don't blame Oni on that. Uh, the decision was probably, you know, the cause of hundreds of things. Uh, and we all know that all, all we know, uh, is that Miss Judge wanted to be your own person, which fair, uh, the Washingtons, they were preparing to go home to Mount Vernon during the summer of 1796. It was Washington's final year as president, and it was known in the household that he would not be president again. So while everyone was packing their things for the trip, uh, Oni had arrangements made for her clothes to be whisked off to a friend's home. Uh, this worked beautifully because on the 21st of May, 1796, Oni judged while the Washingtons sat for dinner at three, walked out the front door, never to associate with the Washingtons again. As she arrived at her previously mentioned friend's home, gathered her things, and boarded a ship for Portsmouth, New Hampshire. She was 22, and for the first time, she was deciding her own fate, which, fuck yes, that is super fucking cool. Like, yeah, fuck it, yeah. It's totally, it's like really interesting and scary that this like, like, you know, young lady or like borderline adult in our society just decided like, nope, I'm doing this thing and it's going to be a real big drastic thing. <laughs> well, the Washington family was shocked by Ona Judge's flight. They placed ads offering $10 to anyone who could return her. Yet, nobody did. Ever. Like, Oni became a seamstress in New Hampshire, evading capture even when the Washingtons knew of her location. She even encountered a higher gun looking for her, to whom she expressed her absolute thirst to be completely free. The hired gun reached a deal that Oni would gladly return if she was promised freedom at the death of the Washingtons. Judge didn't take him up on this, though, as George absolutely refuted such a compromise when he was told about it. So good on her for not making that mistake and falling into that trap. <laughs> um, in his mind, rewarding Oni for being a runaway would set a terrible precedent for the rest, like the rest of their quote unquote property. So the Washingtons at this point essentially, you know, had their hands tied and wrote off Oni completely. Just like, well, I guess we lost this lady. We're done. We're not going to not going to do it much more. So, yeah, this this ends up mostly happy. We know after that that Oni was married in January of 1797 to a John Steins. Um, and after that, we also know she avoided a one attempt of cap to 
a one attempt at capture by a nephew of George's named Burwell Bassett. Um, so good on her. We also know that she lived a mostly ordinary but hard life as all of her family around her unfortunately died young and Oni lived to be 75. It seems that we know more about Oni than most of Washington's enslaved people, only due to the fact that abolitionists were, you know, very prominent in New England and had interviewed her twice in her old age, which is pretty good. Um, it's pretty cool that these folks went and interviewed folks like Oni Judge to, like, get a record, even if it's small and not too great. So, And the last person we'll talk today is Hercule Posse. Hercules was purchased by George Washington on October 22nd of 1765, years before George had sworn off buying and selling human beings. Hercules came along with 25 other people in an attempt by a Mr. John Posey to clear his debts with the Washingtons. Um, Hercules would work as a ferryman across the Potomac until 1771, when Washington shifted his use to work within the home. Here in the home of the Washingtons, Hercules would meet and marry a housemaid named Alice. Alice was owned by Martha's estate and would spend the rest of her life alongside her husband within Mount Vernon. The two would, over the years, have three children, two girls and a boy. Everything for them would go well enough, all things considered, in the situation, until Alice's untimely death in September of 1787. The children were ten, four, and two. By this time, Hercules was not only a single father, but essentially an apprentice to Mount Vernon's aging cook, Old Doll. I can only imagine this is horribly difficult, learning a new job, dealing with three children, along with the horrors of your spouse dying, and the fact that you're now working for someone named Old Doll, which kind of sounds kind of scary. Like It does. That's <laughs> some, like, uh, the evil within type stuff. Um, <laughs> So yeah, Hercules, he was known to be a dark, shorter man uh, with a massive amount of muscular power, uh, which, apropos of his namesake. Uh, furthermore, by the eve of Washington's presidency, Hercules was also known to be a fantastic cook. So obviously he, uh, you know, picked that up pretty easily. Uh, so much so that George chose to take Hercules to Philadelphia as his cook uh, over any that they looked for in the quote-unquote free market. Uh, Hercules did make the small request that his oldest child, his son Richmond, be allowed to come work along with him. Washington allowed it. From letters, it seems that George thought little of Richmond's merit, but agreed anyhow. Hercules' two daughters, Eve and Delilah, were left behind in the care of Mount Vernon's enslaved community. Uh, in the president's kitchens, while a white man was appointed manager, it would be Hercules, who would be the chief cook. As Philadelphia grew into the capital city, so did it grow the culinary abilities of Hercules. Uh, this man had the complete respect of both the enslaved and the hired kitchen staff, with Washington citing him as a much better than well-regulated white counterparts. Uh, this prestige came along with the added bonus of Hercules being able to sell the non-consumables from the kitchen. You know, used tea leaves, animal skins, extra parts, fats, etc. were all up for grabs. So naturally, he made a happy, you know, $100, $200 a year, which 
fuck yeah. Like, might as well have that extra side business. Uh, which was, you know, great for him as he was a bit of a dandy. Uh, with these extra funds, Hercules bought the finest clothing he could, very often being the most well-dressed man in the room. He absolutely deserved to be so well put together. Uh, he would literally spend the whole morning and day preparing huge dinners for multitudes within Washington's court. Uh, luckily, though, his work would end, you know, at four, uh, whenever dinner would begin. Uh, then he'd be free to slip into better cl clothes and then just go around town being a respectable, well-together gentleman. Which good for him. You get to dress well. You do a good job. You get to go off and be just, you know, hitting Philly, doing Philly things. Chunking exactly. batteries at Throwing people. batteries and... at Santa. Yeah, exactly. see? see? We, we both went straight to it. It's low-hanging fruit at this point. I love you, Philly. I really want to go to Philly. Philly looks like an interesting city as long as I don't go into the wrong neighborhood. You know, because nobody wants to get we're mugged by. Dallas Cowboys stuff. Oh, yes. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're wear cowboy shit and get mugged by three fat Italian guys and, like, they're, like, broke friend who's with them. That's great. All right. Gritty, Gritty will be there too. He'll be the muscle. He'll just like you know stare at us. You know he'll he'll kick you in the side a few times while the while the Italian <laughs> gentlemen are taking your wallets and being like, "Hey, fuck you!" and not saying water correctly. Hey, fucking rice. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyhow, as you could probably guess, things would go terribly wrong for Hercules in the Washington president presidential home. The first problem being that his son, Richmond, would be shipped back to Mount Vernon on April 24, 1791, for being what was described as an idle, ignorant boy. But maybe it's more of the fact that he was probably like 13 or 14 and being told to do all this work, and 14-year-olds don't like being told to do a bunch of work. They get kind of grumpy about it. <laughs> and they find ways to be lazy, that it's inventive. But Hercules did nothing outwardly at this point. And hell, Mr. Posey did nothing after his six months in Philadelphia, which could have legally freed him. The dude just kept working. I guess he was just making stacks and getting cool clothes and was like, I'll deal with it for now. At one point, the Washingtons even accused him of plotting to use this loophole and causing to causing Hercules to sincerely argue back with them, which I believe probably hurt the Washingtons actually in keeping their hold over Herc. Like, Hercules would stay as head cook until 1796, in which after he'd be shifted back to Mount Vernon long term. But I bet you the gears were turning after that accusation argument. And some historians believe that he was shifted anyhow over fear of this after Oni Judge had just fucked off. Which I agree with. I'd subscribe to that. Like, you got to get the the dude who's like well and well regarded out of there if you're an evil person who owns people. As George and family were in Philadelphia, Hercules was not needed to make gourmet meals and thus was regulated to hard labor, which probably pissed him off. I mean, come on. The guy was an excellent cook. He was used to making a shit ton of money off the side hustles. He was a well-dressed man at the height of dandy fashion. He was probably not happy of being told, 
hey, you got to go work in the fields, pal. There's no work for you in this kitchen. Like, probably not very happy at all. Farmer, you know, was probably the last thing Hercules wanted to do. And we know that hard labor um, was what he had to do until February 21st, 1797. And, you know, after that, um, we have no idea what he had to do after more because Hercules fucked off on the 22nd of February. And this absconding was quite a big deal for the Washington family. Um, It was actually noted by a lot of influential folks. The most interesting being Louis-Philippe, a French royal, who wrote in his journal about a servant speaking to one of Hercules' children about his absconsion. The little girl was asked about not seeing her father and was quoted as saying, Oh, sir, I am very glad because he is now free. (laughs) Which is fun because that is actually like, it's in there. I'm seeing the shitty journal and there's like some little quotes and someone has it like translated from English to French. Beautiful. That's cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think it's really fun. But the Washington's thought about, you know, breaking his dealing and skin roll after this, but they eventually instead of buying a new slave to cook at home, hired an English woman to run the kitchen. And, you know, the the most important part of the story is that Hercules was never recovered. So, you know, he's got to be a dude for the rest of his life. And now, you know, it's not like fully in stone. But I did find out that in 2019, a paper was published which highlighted a recent discovery from the second African burying ground in New York City, which stated that a Hercules Posse of Virginia had died and was buried there on May 15th of 1812. And, you know, if indeed this is Hercules Posse of Mount Vernon, he was said to have died of consumption, which is the fanciest way of saying tuberculosis, and he would have been 64. So, you know, that's that's a pretty good run. You make out when you're 30-something, you live 30 years in New York hiding out and doing whatever you do. Tuberculosis sounds awful, but, I mean... Could have died in the fields. Yeah, that's true. I mean, silver lining to an extent, for sure. Well, yeah, but, like, it's good that historians are putting the pieces of puzzles like this together. I appreciate that about historical, like, work and studies from folks. Exactly. I agree. Well, I think that's everything. We're at the end of the notes. Um, I wish I could have given given more details, but, like, this was really, unfortunately, like, the extent of the details. There wasn't really much more on these folks since they left none of their own records. And it was just all, like, this white person said this. This one said that. Which is a real, like, embarrassment of human's historical knowledge. (laughs) Yeah. No, agreed. Like, that's just, it's a shame. Yeah, no, that was, that was fun. I feel like there was a lot of good information there. Uh, Hopefully, you know, I mean, I'm, guess I'm glad that we, you know, got to learn more about these people and they're not just relegated to, you know, a a literal footnote uh, of history. I think that's important. Yeah. And like, I really enjoyed the book that was about like, 
slaves at Mount Vernon. Um, it was really good. It was it was called Buried Lives, and it was by a Carla Kill McLafferin or Kill McClaffery. <laughs> she she has a big Irish looking name. It's we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> But yeah, no, uh, this 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 was a good episode. I think it's time to wrap this shit up. Uh, I have been Harrison. Uh, I've been recording from land that belonged to the Kiowa, uh, the Cheyenne, the Ute, the Arapaho, uh, and the Sioux. Uh, out here in Denver, Colorado, you can find me at at not Brother Delta on Twitter. You can find the show at, at uh, what the hell pod uh, g- uh, on on the Twitters, and you can email us at what the hell pod at gmail.com. And I'm joined as ever by my co-host. Uh, and... Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, no, I, I've been James, <laughs> and you can find me at um, Whiskey is a Devil at Twitter. And I have been broadcasting from unceded Kickapoo, Osage, Kiowa, Wichita, and Quapaw lands in Norman, Oklahoma. Yeah, that is... and oh god, damn it, go ahead. Oh no, I was gonna say that is always a mouthful of peoples who own this land before <laughs> the land run that's that's true uh, and as, as always i want to thank uh singe wavering for our logo uh, and we are actually joined by toasty producer again so as always thanks to him for <laughs> air horns for the babysitting uh, could not do it without him uh you know we love him on the show yes very much so so that's going to do it for this episode, folks. Uh, ciao. Laters.